0: This is Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the regular visit to the virtual church classroom of Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm Pastor Dan, and I have my daughter Bethany here helping me again as we lead you through this study of Mere Christianity, the book by C.S. Lewis. We are taking it step by step, and right now we're on book two and chapter two, This recording is being made on April 22nd, 2019. That's the day after Easter Sunday, so that's why it's coming a little late, because pastors are usually kind of busy during the week leading up to Easter. It's been a glorious week, and we're grateful for it, and uh, grateful for you, listeners. So thanks for joining us. Without further ado, we'll drive right into the... uh, into the discussion, chapter 2 of book 2 is called The Invasion. And uh, in the first part of the discussion, C.S. Lewis describes how, like atheism, there are uh, certain things, uh, certain ways of describing and explaining things that are just too simple. Two ways, uh, another way to explain the, the uh, ought within us that uh he calls christianity and water so bethany what do you think
1: well he says that christianity and water is is the belief that some people have that that there is in fact a god who created everything but that's the end they leave out all of like the so-called bad stuff like sin and that there's that there's evil in the world um, which I said a little while ago to you that it sounded like deism, mm-hmm. um, which apparently is in your study notes. So <laughs> I'm glad I was on the right track.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, deism is basically a belief that God created everything and then just let it go. Yeah. Just, just said, well, I'm done with that and moved on to something else. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there who, are by default deists they they say they believe in god and what they believe about god is usually whatever's convenient for them mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean they believe that <clears throat> god is good and loves everybody and it doesn't matter what you do or anything you know it's all okay yeah and they're particularly grateful that god just walked away and left it alone so they figure that they don't have to deal with God until they're face-to-face with God, and then they're counting on God to be really good.
1: Yeah. <coughs> oh, sorry.
0: Goodness, we were, we we're just, I read the you story. You can edit that out,
1: maybe. <laughs> Probably not.
0: But I, but I did, uh, you know, April 22nd, 2019 in Jasper, Indiana. The pollen count is way high right now.
1: I feel it. i feel it a lot
0: so no doubt people who are listening with us in this area will agree that it's hard not to have drippy nose gurgly throat sneezing and all that other fun stuff that goes with
1: it's earth day maybe nature's fighting back there you go it's attacking us
0: speaking of deism (laughs) earth day would definitely (sighs) be in the vicinity Uh, It's great that we take care of the earth and we set aside a day to to honor God's creation. And yet I doubt that's what most people think of when they think of Earth Day. But enough of that. So why is it not good to ask for a simple religion? And in what two ways do anti-Christians use simplicity to attack Christianity?
1: Hmm. Well,
0: real things aren't simple,
1: right? I I marked that in my book. Actually, I, that's highlighted real things aren't, are not simple. And that's true. And I also think he makes a good point where he says that if you're going to go ask the question of what's happening in the world, then you have to be prepared for a difficult answer. Mm -hmm. Like You can't ask questions like that and assume that it'll be simplistic, Yeah, which is a good point. Um. But he, yeah, he talks about how like there are people who, whether they know it or not, they seek to destroy Christianity because they have this kind of silly, simplistic ideal. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And he says like it's a version of Christianity that's great for a Mm six-year-old. But when you try to actually like dive into Christian doctrine, that like a fully formed adult should understand. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Oh, you're making my head spin. This is too complicated." And that surely God would have had a simple, beautiful mm-hmm. religion. And
0: yeah, so they complain when it's too simple.
1: But they also but
0: when they start looking at it in its in its uh, depth, then they say it's too complicated. And so we're back to the deists, the, pra- the, the sort of default deists that say, "Well, yeah, I, I like that there's a God, and I'm, I'm sure He's going to be perfect and good and wonderful, and and uh, you know, I, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's a uh, to use uh, to use his words, it's sophomoric and naive. Yes.
1: <clears throat> so yeah. I also love that he says that. So he says, "Yes, reality is complicated, but it's also weird," mm-hmm. which I think is great. Like that's that's when he that's something he says in terms of like his next. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. Well, like like it's he uses, weird.
0: you know, so so the study guide says that that you can see a table, but what you. Are looking at is not as simple as it appears because mm-hmm. you're really looking at atoms and light waves and optic nerve and the brain are all involved. So the whole experience of a table is um, a example of, of how it's not as complicated or it, it doesn't seem that complicated, but it gets very complicated. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that kind of reminds me of the the seminary discussion about the nature of, of the Eucharist and. And when we take communion, you know, what is actually going on? And, and uh, people who would argue that while the bread doesn't change in its appearance, it changes in its essence. And uh, therefore, it is, in fact, the body of Jesus Christ, the very flesh of Christ, um, would use a similar argument. They'd say it looks like bread but something far more complex is going on mm-hmm. that you can't see, and and uh, they use the argument that if you had a table, we'll say, made of wood, and you saw that it was a table, um, and then someone burned it down to a pile of ash, it could be argued that it's still a table, even though it doesn't appear to be a table anymore because it hasn't lost its tableness,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know? So yeah. it's all very fascinating. That may be one of the law
1: of conservation of mass.
0: It it could be the way that that uh, you know that Christianity gets a little too complicated (laughs) because the table was a tree before, Mm -hmm. or maybe it was a pallet before, or maybe it was uh, you know because in my house wood gets repurposed all the time. I mean, we have so many things around here that I've built out of the same wood three or four times. (laughs) And so which is its actual essence, you know. So anyway, we digress. I digress. So it could not have been guessed or predicted, which means it is all has all the elements or unusual twists that really that reality does. Boy. It's um uh, clearly post Easter weariness here.
1: <laughs> well I like yeah, he says that a lot like it makes me think of that truth is stranger than fiction phrase. Mm-hmm. Like, he says, reality is the thing you couldn't have guessed, which is pretty accurate, I think. Um, that, like, you can imagine some really wild things, but reality usually ends up being wilder. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and he said, and that's, like, a reason to believe Christianity, because it's kind of like the truth is stranger than fiction.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and honestly, again, you know, I'm just full of side comments today. Um, but you remember when we were doing the Revelation Bible study, I talked often about how the more interesting thing to do is to take the scripture as it's written and assume that what it says is what it means. And if it is, in fact saying exactly what it means then that means the truth is far more interesting and Uh sometimes frightening Uh than the reality because a lot of bible scholars well-meaning uh always try to dumb the bible down to something they can wrap their minds around which i think is ironic because again it goes back to the sophomoric and naive approach you can take something in scripture that perhaps describes you know demons and and uh and demonic human uh, activity and, and, you know, Egyptian pharaohs whose heads are the shape of their hats and all this kind of stuff. And you can say, no, 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 that's, it's, that's ridiculous. That's ludicrous. It really means this. And what they're really doing is, is they're trying to satisfy their need for something that they can explain and that they can have authority over as opposed to saying there are th- certain realities the Bible describes that I can't have authority over and I can't describe because I don't understand it, mm-hmm. you know, and I have to assume it is saying exactly what it means. And, and once you open your mind to that, then all of a sudden all these other realities start to make sense to you. And uh, C.S. Lewis, I think I'm right on track with C.S. Lewis because I think back to the, to the Chronicles of Narnia, Especially that movie that was made about *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe* book, and how there were half-human, half-beasts, and there were all these different mythological characters in the story, and he let them all exist together because he was all about—he he understood a lot about mythology in the world, and and uh, and. It actually makes more sense when you let go of your need to be in control of what you're reading in the Bible and just see what it says and take it at its value of what it's saying. Mm -hmm. It actually makes more sense of the world because now all of a sudden there's a world out there where maybe once upon a time there were weird hybrid creatures that were caused by Genesis chapter six, right? And and so my whole premise for saying that is to say, this is exactly what he's describing here, that a Christian is a person who should, anyway, be willing to accept that God says what God means and means what God says, and that the Bible obviously could be argued that some translations are more accurate than others, but... But even in that, there's a reality that you have to accept that is really hard to accept because, because our human intellect and our pride doesn't want us to go there. Our pride wants us to say, uh, "No, I mean, you know, how could a Bible be translated accurately over and over again for thousands of years, and and how can it be so consistently right, and and how can anybody argue that a Bible that was just published uh, two years ago and printed?" Uh, last week is as accurate as the incident itself uh, being witnessed by the participants you know what I mean and it's like mm-hmm. the the irony is, is that if you will let go of your need to be in control and just take it as it's written you will recognize that there's actually more rational explanation for what doesn't make sense than there is for what you think would make sense Mm -hmm. and it brings you all the way back around to this you know it could not have been guessed or predicted which means that all of its elements or unusual twists are the reality yeah that's good stuff the problem is a universe that contains much that is obviously bad and meaningless but contains creatures like ourselves who know that it is bad and apparently meaningless The only two views around that face all the facts are Christianity and dualism. Mm -hmm. It's not really a question as much as it is an explanation, right? So let's look. (laughs) Because I read the answers instead of the questions. That's all right. So what then, according to Lewis, is the appeal of Christianity as an explanation well, it could have been guessed or predicted, mm-hmm. and yet it is the most plausible reality. What is the problem restated by Lewis, and what are the only two views that face all the facts? Well, Christianity and dualism. So what's
1: dualism? It's like when you believe that there's two, two powers that are equal and independent, good and evil, or good and bad, and that we're just kind of stuck in the middle of their ongoing battlefield. Um, but one didn't create the other. Like they're two powers who are equal but independent of each other.
0: Mm. And that seems like a really prevalent view as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of like the dark side of the Force versus the good Force. Yeah. Um, the sense that that two equally powerful entities set up shop somewhere above Earth and decided to fight over it. And it makes more sense that a single creator gave birth to it all or, or created it all and that some parts of it as a result of the loving Creator's desire to make the creation most excellent, had the capacity to reject God and did to reject the Creator, and some did. And uh, it's it's not a failed experiment. It's not a um, it's not a a, a mistake. In fact, what God has done is said in order for created beings to really to be remarkable in every way, they have to be allowed to reject the creator. And it is in their returning to the creator who has created in, in turn a way of return. <laughs> that sounds a little complicated the way I said that. The loving creator gives them the capacity to reject the creator Because the creator wants them to be more than just created automatons or whatever you want to call it. And so the creator gives them the capacity to reject the creator and then creates a way that they can return to the creator that requires all of their cooperation as created beings without any input from the creator to force the issue. And in this way, they really are. It's the old, if you love something, let it go. Mm-hmm. And if it really loves you, it will come back, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And it, it's kind of a fascinating concept. And, and uh, so so how are the Christian and dualist explanations of badness and evil in the universe similar? And how are they different? Well, wow. kind of talked about that, but...
1: You were really excited though. You like jumped way ahead of him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because he goes into a lot of detail about good and evil before he ever gets to the Christian explanation.
0: Yeah. What can I say? He just—it's okay. It's what I do. Yeah.
1: But he—he he talks about how like if we—if we melt down. Or distill down this dualism idea to, okay, there's a good power and a bad power. How do we come up with calling one good and one bad? And he gives a couple of explanations for that and says, like, well, on the one hand, you could just be like, well, being good, like, the good one's the one I fancy joining today. Right. Um, and so you're essentially then saying, like, that you think one is right and one is wrong rather than one's good or bad. Um, but he points out that, like, as soon as you say that, you're putting, like, basically a third power into motion, because you're saying that, like, they're held up by some law or standard. Right. Which mean which is kind of goes back to the very beginning of the book, which was when he was talking about, like, well, where's this moral law Then like, if you have all of these different ideas about things, you're judging it against a standard. So he brings that right back up. Um... And says, like, okay, well, if you're judging it by this some standard, then there's got to be somebody behind that standard. Um, but then he also says, like, if dualism is true, then whoever this bad, evil power is must, like, has to like being bad for bad's sake. Hmm. Um, because he points out that, like... <sighs> That a lot of times when people do bad things, they're bad, but they were, they were doing them for some reason that they justify as good. Right. Um, so like to get money or power or safety, um, or even pleasure out of it. Right. Um, and so he basically says like, if you really look at wickedness, it's the pursuit of something good, but in a bad way.
0: Right. Right.
1: So he says you can be good for the sake of being good, but you can't be bad for the sake of being bad because there's goodness at the root. Right. There's an attempt at goodness at the root. Right. So he's saying like, like this bad power has to probably have come out of good because, because it can't just happen on its own. Like, and he says like badness is just spoiled goodness. Hmm. Um, so, like, that means there has to have been something good first because you can't spoil goodness if there's not goodness to spoil. It's complicated, but it's good. No, it actually um,
0: makes pretty good sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so, basically, he says, like, they can't be on equal footing because, like, the bad power doesn't love badness in the same way that the good power would love goodness. Right. That's kind of the root. I got you. Yeah. Um, so and then like he simplifies it and this kind of comes into what you started talking about. Like he says basically like to simplify things, if you're going to be bad, you have to have free will and intelligence. Yes. Um, and that those things are good and they must have come from the good power then. Because if you think about existence, if you think about intelligence and free will, those are not considered evil or bad things. They're good things. So they have to have come from a good power from this it. so-called dualist perspective. So if he's going to be bad, he has to have, like, borrowed or stolen that. Got it. Or had it given to him, hmm. like in Christianity. Get it. Um, and, that's, and he points out, like, now, like, if you think about it that way... Christians, I've always talked about the devil as a fallen angel, which means he started good.
0: Right. Well, and that takes the last question, which is using a war analogy. I I love that. Then how does Lewis describe Christianity? Well, both Christianity and dualism believe in good and evil, but dualism believes evil is externally coexistence with Mm coexistent with good. So Christianity believes a good God initially created Satan as good, but Satan rebelled. And chose to spoil goodness. Yeah. Which is so evident in *Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if you watch the movie, it's all right there.
1: Well, and if you read the whole series in The Magician's Nephew, you find out how Jadis comes to be. And Jadis right. is the White Witch. Right. Which is the bad power. Right. Um, she didn't... She wasn't always super evil. Right. Like, she wasn't created that way.
0: <laughs> you know, I read the whole series uh recently for the first time last year the entire series and huh, there's so much there i've forgotten some of it sorry it's <laughs>
1: <That's> okay <clears throat>
0: the jadis thing escaped me until you just, just reminded me of i have a
1: problem that maybe isn't a problem but i have a problem where i remember a lot from everything i read
0: well that's why i asked you to start helping me with the podcast <laughs> because i remember all the concepts yeah uh You know, in fact, this is just as an aside, you know, all through my grade school and high school, I did miserably and my grades were always terrible. And it was usually due to the fact that I couldn't take tests very well. I wasn't good at repeating and reiterating or just regurgitating acquired knowledge. You know, I couldn't just. And yet if I absorbed something, I could explain the concept to Mm -hmm. you. So I excelled when I got to college because after we got through the rudimentary basic stuff that's required even in college, you know, that requires testing and everything, my grades just gradually got better and better and better all the way through to my master's degree where it's all about explaining how you think and what you understood. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I really transformed from a really lousy student to a really excellent student And it's because I was given permission to explain what I understood instead of repeating memorized words, verses, phrases, formulas, that kind of thing. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: My mind can wrap, I can grasp the concepts behind uh, algebra, but I can't do algebra out of a book. I just can't, you know. So we make a good combination on this podcast because... I'm wanting people to do their critical thinking, and there's a certain part of that requires you to re- remember what was said. So this and this Bible study, by by far, I mean this book study, has been probably the best one we've ever done yet on these podcasts we've done together because it combines both elements. And and it's really funny because because uh, you know you're sort of the the play-by-play announcer. And I'm sort of the color commentator yes. or the analyst, uh they call me analyst now, you
1: know, well, because it sounds better than color guy, yeah, but the truth I'm is. I'm really glad I'm the play by play one though
0: you you are you are giving us the the facts the mm-hmm. the the words from the book the the data, and I can sit here and opine and comment on the concepts, and that that is a good formula, so. It's pretty cool because, like I said, I read the whole series and I get Lewis's whole premise in the series of the nature of the universe, you know, and the the whole nature of good and evil and the relationship between uh, the Creator and the created, and and uh, I totally get that. But and I really enjoy these books and listening to them and reading them and everything is just very fulfilling for me. But I seldom outline. And highlight things in my books. And it isn't because I have some opposition to that. It's because there's very little chance I'm going to go back to it. <laughs> and every now and again, I will take something that I really like and mark it because I think it would be good to share with other people. But if I don't share it pretty soon, it's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, anyway, that's just a little personal aside there for you folks and, and knowing that my mom is listening I guess she'll be pleased to know that you know I've discovered how to be smart it just wasn't school book grade school 1975 way of doing it
1: I think she knows that. <laughs> I think she knows that
0: she always believed that I had enormous potential that I was just not uh growing in in healthy soil that's my mother the green thumb all the way up to her elbow would say that Mm -hmm. that just needed to be planted in a place where i could thrive Mm -hmm. but that's a good point though um many of you are listening to this and will respond in different ways uh to the concepts and some of you will go back and get the book and and do like bethany and just run your highlighter over every other paragraph and and some of you'll be like me and you'll just ruminate over it for days and then suddenly one day someone will ask you to explain what you think about the nature of good and evil and you'll just explain it Mm -hmm. and they'll say wow that's brilliant you're brilliant and and you'll know that it was informed by c.s lewis and so and then there's all kinds of in the middle well, we we've covered that chapter pretty well. Um
1: Did we answer the last question? Well,
0: not entirely. So both believe that the universe is at war. Mm-hmm. Dualism believes that the war is a never-ending eternal struggle. Right. And Christianity believes it is a temporary evil war mm-hmm. or rebellion that will come to a conclusion.
1: Yeah, and Lewis his description at the end of the chapter of kind of where we stand in all of it is so great. Well, talk about that. Well, he just, he talks about how we, like, Christianity and dualism have some things in common when you look at it that way, like, that that there is this ongoing war um, between this dark power, but we believe that this dark power was created by God and he went wrong. Right. Um, And, but it's so great because he says that, like, this isn't a like universal war between independent powers, like dualism would say it's a civil war. Right. As a rebellion. And that, and I love it because he says that we're essentially living in occupied territory, which is great. It almost uh, sounds like know.
0: yesterday's Easter sermon. Yeah. Doesn't it?
1: Like that we're in enemy occupied territory. And, and then I love it because he says basically when we go to church on Sunday um, and we get like, oops, and we hear we listen to our sermons and our, we worship together and stuff. It's like we're getting our secret wireless dispatches That's from behind bad. enemy lines. Um,
0: and, and I like being that guy.
1: And he says like the rightful king has in fact landed in enemy territory, but he's in disguise and it's just it's just a really awesome analogy. Um, and, and, cause you know, it makes me feel like a super spy, which, you know, I have a thing for things like that. So it just makes me feel real excited.
0: What's really cool is, um, that also kind of illustrates how I sort of do my thing. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm not, again, this is not about me, but what I'm saying is, is I just described how I don't quote chapter and verse from the Bible or C.S. Lewis. Um, whatever I write about in sermons uh, whatever I write my in my sermon notes, if I draw on a concept that I recall from scripture, I always look it up and provide the the corresponding reference. But the truth is is when I'm writing, I'm just writing. Mm-hmm. And I mark places in my writing where I know I need to go back and give a cross-reference mm-hmm. and to double-check myself to make sure that I... So I feel like I have a certain responsibility for citation um in order to add to the credibility of what I'm saying, but that's not how I do it. And I just think it's really funny because then, you, you know, you look at Lewis's description and we come together on Sunday morning, and especially yesterday, it was so funny because we had... Uh, we had the biggest turnout at church that the church has seen in over 10 years. And it was mostly, almost entirely people who are all associated mm-hmm. with the church. It's just that it's rare for them to all arrive at once. Yeah. And I said, this is like a homecoming. And then I did this whole message about how Christ wasn't at home
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we're not at home. And so it really was everything that that last paragraph or two describes Mm -hmm. in this chapter that this was a war dispatch. This was this was all right. I know I'm not going to see you all once in in one place again at the same time. So here's how we're going to stay in communication. And here's what the message is all about. We are in enemy occupied territory and we've got to continue to fulfill our mission because we're going home.
1: Yeah. You know? Well, and he, he really brilliantly says like, that's why the devil prevent, does what he can to prevent you from going. And he does that by playing on your laziness, your conceit, mm-hmm. your pride, um, which is really true because there, <laughs> I love church, but there maybe not always on Sunday mornings, but there are, there are times where I get home from work and I'm really tired and I'm like, Oh, I do not want to go back out and go to church. And I know I do. But I think, yeah, like the devil does, he plays on He plays on all the things that are there already. And he just plays them up. But And, and Lewis ends the chapter by saying that somebody's going to write in and tell him, Oh, are you trying to bring in the horn, you know, the devil with the horns and the hooves and all that stuff? And he says, Well, I, I don't know what he looks like. But I'm pretty sure if you want to get to know him better, you will, whether you like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fabulous. That is. Um, that is. So, yeah, I love that the chapter's called The Invasion, and you don't really figure out what he's talking about until you get to the end. Because we're the invasion.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Here I go again, quoting yet again. It seems like I've done this every episode for the last three or four well we're on what episode eight mm-hmm. um, but I go back to that Jesus saying to Peter after he confessed Christ he said you are you are the rock upon the which the the faith in me is the rock of the church and mm-hmm. and the the gates of hell will not be able to prevail mm-hmm. against the church yep and he didn't say the gates of the church, we'll stand firm against satan. we're supposed to storm the castle. we're supposed to go get him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: drive him out of this this is our territory. this is this is this is meant to be the kingdom on earth until, you know, heaven and earth are combined and we're supposed to be driving the enemy back. yep. and uh that's a totally different concept. mhm. oh wow, that is great stuff. well, that's it for chapter three or chapter two rather of of book two uh on our next episode we're going to look at chapter three the shocking alternative (laughs) and uh sounds like it'll be a lot of fun anything you want to say before we close
1: Mm, i don't think so
0: well friends i want to thank you for listening it's an honor it really really is an honor and we will be glad to uh communicate with you and I, i say this every week I, uh, I want to thank Jenny for her wonderful contributions every week in the Facebook group. So if you'd like to read those excellent uh, comments, I really encourage you to get involved with the Knowing God with Heart and Mind Facebook group. And, uh, and, and then if you are able or willing, I would hope you would also comment. You can talk to us face to face if you come to Shiloh United Methodist Church. We're in southwest Indiana, not far from, we're about an hour from Evansville, and uh, we'd love to meet you, and uh, if you're farther away, you can email us, you can join the Facebook group, and uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you want to know more about Shiloh United Methodist Church, just go to shilohum.org, that's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M.org, we'll be glad to communicate with you as you reach out through that resource as well. For now, I want to just thank you again for listening, and God bless you, and goodbye.